Well, hi, this is Gabe Hartfield, and I want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I get the privilege to work with a community of post-college young adults, and so that's why we call this podcast The Post. And every week, we get to send out a message into the world that provides practical steps to a mature faith, inspires hope, and helps make the invisible God visible. So here's what we talked about this week at The Post. going through uh, the wisdom literature that Solomon wrote. And so that's what we've been doing for the past few weeks. And we're going to continue with that. Um, and so we're going to read Proverbs chapter 3, um, a couple verses in there. And so um, I invited uh, Taylor to come up and read the verses for us. Um, and as is our custom here, one of the things we like to do is for the first reading of God's word, we like to stand um, in honor of it. So if I, you guys would like to stand with me as we read. And you can tell them the verses. I think you and I have a lot of songs, so. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a song like that chapter two that I think many people have heard about. Uh, I'm not <laughs> yeah, the verses are on the screen. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a, corrects a child in whom he delights. Amen. Uh, God, would you help us to be good soil, to receive what you have uh, for us today, God? Would we be wise and um, not just hearers of the word, but doers also? God, may your word change us forever. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Taylor. <clears throat> so, as we start, I wanted to ask a question. What is your relationship with correction? What is your relationship with correction and discipline? When you think of times when you've been corrected, how do you react? How do you find yourself thinking about the person that gave the correction? What emotions uh, do you find, like or reactions do you find coming up in you? What things happen? I think of a lot of times where I've been corrected in my life. And there's sometimes where people have done it well. Um, there is a, a camp director of mine who every time he corrected, he would make sure that I understood that it was not just for that moment, but this was something for all of life, something that affects all of your life. And if you don't change it now, it will affect you later on. On the other hand, I've had people that have corrected me poorly. I remember one time when I was just starting to preach and just starting um, at a church, I was like early 20s and I remember someone interrupted me and told me how terrible of a preacher I was in front of everybody. Um, I've also had times where it felt like personal attacks. And I remember like for me, like just reacting and like wanting to defend or um, protect myself because I felt like I was under attack. Sometimes people have different reactions to correction. Um, and sometimes you feel like it's valid, sometimes you feel like it's invalid. I was just out in the hall and I got caught, I, I got caught kissing my wife and Matt comes up and he's like, tisk, 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 no PDA, um, this is a church. And I was like, hey, that's not valid criticism. No, um, anyways, I, I reacted to the correction. No, um, 
and protected. So sometimes there's times where you feel like the correction is valid. Sometimes you feel like it's invalid. Um, or sometimes you, you, you fight against it. Sometimes maybe you've been on the other side and you've given correction and the person didn't receive it, but you tried hard on it. Um, or you wished you would have said it a little bit better. What is your relationship to correction? I think it's really interesting that when I read this, it says, Solomon says in that verse that Taylor just read, that God disciplines those he loves. And most of the time growing up, when I received correction, I felt like I was being attacked. And so when I was reading this for the first time, I remember just thinking, how does Solomon have the audacity to claim that when I am corrected by the Lord, that that's actually a sign that he loves me and accepts me? How could that be? Last week, we talked about how there's this concept called the principle of the path. And there's a book written by Andy Stanley. And the principle of the path just clearly states that the direction determines the destination. The direction determines your destination. And how if you um, have taken, like, made choices in your life, it'll lead to a certain destination. We understand this with driving and geography, that if I tell you I'm going to Florida, but I drive west, I'll never get to Florida because my intention didn't match my direction, right? One of the things that was interesting when I was thinking about this whole idea of the path, I, a while back, I like to study uh, spaceships and different things like that with NASA, and I was reading that whenever they launch a different um, shuttle up, often, I don't know if they still do this, but back when they were starting, they would have to have these like mini rockets on the side of the shuttle. And the reason why is because sometimes when it launched, they'd realize that it was a few feet off course, like off the trajectory. And so they'd activate these little rockets on the side that would just correct it just by a few feet. And I remember reading it and being so confused and being like, why does it matter if it's just a few feet? I mean, like the moon is several thousand miles wide. Why would a few feet matter? And the reason why I saw your hand doing it um, is because it would exponentially get bigger. And what started off as just a few feet off course would lead, if not corrected early, to exponentially being off course. And they would say like thousands of miles off course of where it was supposed to be. So that's why it was important when it was early to correct it. And I want to just propose the idea and suggest that when there's those mid-course corrections, when someone comes into your life or when God brings something into your life that's bringing correction, that it is not the enemy, that it is not always an attack. Sometimes it might be, but I want to propose that actually it is a sign that God loves you and accepts you as a child. I want us to wrestle with that idea today. Now, as we jump in, couple things about correction. I think sometimes when we think of correction, we think, okay, it's always somebody giving it to me, and I'm like uh, the recipient of it. But I would offer this other idea, that correction will come, it, it will always come, there will always be correction, that you can either correct yourself internally, or external correction will come. One of the two will always happen. 
So for example, with speeding, like if I'm <laughs> driving and I am speeding and I'm also texting at the same time and listening to a podcast while simultaneously trying to read an article someone sent me, I'm not talking from experience at all. Um, if that is happening, I can either decide to correct myself and not do those things, or I can keep going and see lights come up in my rearview mirror and have another friendly person come up and correct me with some money behind it and possibly a class on how to drive better. If I don't listen to that person and I also didn't listen to myself, a third thing can happen and I can be corrected by the consequences, the physical consequences that can happen of me not driving properly. So the thing about it is this, I, I think correction will always come in one of those ways. It'll either be internal or external, you get to choose. Sometimes people beat you to the punch and something you're already working on, they decide they wanna speak into your life and graciously help you along the way. And so they correct you while you're already working on it. And that can be equally frustrating. But those corrections come. And so with that, one of the things that we can do is maybe we can't always choose those things, but we can choose how we respond to correction. So if someone gives us correction, we can respond to it. Now, when I read this passage, um, the one that Taylor just read in chapter three, it began with a phrase. Does anybody remember what, what it was? It says, my son. Now this is a common phrase through a lot of the Proverbs. If you've been reading along through Proverbs, you'll see that it says my son quite often. My son, my son. Now, some of the scholars say that this is just Solomon's way of addressing just young people in general, okay? But as I was reading it, I was like, well, what about Solomon's son? What about his son who became king after him? How did he fare? Was he wise? Did he accept instruction and correction when it came to him? And so I opened up his story, and it's in 1 Kings 12. If you got a Bible, you can go there. 1 Kings chapter 12, and when Solomon died, another person came onto the scene, his son, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was going to be crowned king, and he goes uh, to Shechem, which is not actually a place that supported him super well, but he goes there, and as he goes there, um, he's getting ready to become king of the whole nation, all 12 tribes of Israel, and as he's going there, um, he gets there and they have this thing where all the people come to watch him become king. It's kind of like his coronation ceremony. And everybody's there in Israel and they say to him, okay, since you're about to become king, we have something we want you to do for us. And he's like, oh, tell me what, what is it you want me to do when I become king? And they say, well, your father had us build the temple and his palace and all these other things, and he made labor really hard on us. He worked us really hard. So we're asking that you would just lighten the load. Just make it a little bit easier on us. And if you do, we'll be your servants forever. He says, you know what? Let me think on that. Give me three days. You guys go away for a minute. Um, three days, I got to talk to some of my advisors, come back, and I'll let you know my decision. So everybody leaves. The days are going by, and he decides to ask his dad's advisors, the ones that have been with his dad all these years and advised and seen so much happen, and they come, and he says, 
what do you think we should do? I think it's um, verse 6. He says, how would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to the, these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So they give him this advice and say, look, right now you're early as a king. You need to still earn the right to be followed and earn the right to be heard. If you do that and you start off right, this people, they already said they would follow you and be your servants forever. So we're advising you, do this. We've seen how it works with your father. Follow this advice. He's like, okay. And then he goes to his friends that grew up with him, his peers. And he doesn't just say to them, how would you advise me? He says to them, um, verse 9, he says, what is your advice? How should we answer these people? He says, we, like kind of inviting them into this process. How should we do it? And um, should we lighten the yoke? Um, they, they're saying like, lighten this yoke and make it easier. Should I do that? The people, uh, his friends, they say to him, no, you need to show them who's boss. Okay, this is where like his entrance music might come on. Like, is there a song like a boss or something like that or something like that? He, he comes up and he says, they say to him, your father, tell the people this, tell them that your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke later. Now tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Now, that's what it says in English. If you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't say little finger, not to be crass, but it says my little member will be thicker than my father's waist. And I'll let you interpret that how you will. Um, but he says, I am, uh, say that to them and say, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. And he goes on to say, like, show them who's boss. Show them that you're a tough king, a strong leader. Do this. Well, what do you think he did? Let's pause there for just a second. Because in Proverbs, it lists four different ways that people receive instruction and correction. So in the book of Proverbs, it lists a few different ways of how this happens. In Proverbs, it lists these four ways. The first one is, if somebody receives correction or instruction, it's the simple person. Now, the simple person, they don't understand it. It just goes over their head. They don't even really comprehend the instruction or the correction. Um, Proverbs 27, 12 says, the wise, the prudent foresee danger and avoid it, but the simple just pass right on. They don't even pay attention to the wisdom and they just fall right into the trap. So there's the simple, the second one is the fool, and the fool here in Proverbs 15.5, it says, only a fool despises a parent's uh, dis uh, discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. So the fool, if the simple doesn't understand it, the fool just ignores it. Okay, I understand the advice you're giving me, but I don't agree with it, and just goes on their way. They ignore it. The third one is the mocker. Some other translations talk about it as the scoffer. And the scoffer, verse 12 says, mockers hate to be corrected. 
So they stay away from the wise. So the, if, if the first one, the simple, he doesn't understand it, the fool ignores it, the scoffer or this mocker hates you for it. They don't like to be corrected so much so that when they know someone's going to correct them or give them instruction they don't like, they avoid that person and try not to be in conversation with them. And the fourth is the wise. Now the wise, they love you for it. Notice they don't necessarily love the correction because in another place in Hebrews it says no correction or discipline is pleasant in the moment. But later on, this person will love you for it. Proverbs 12.1 says to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid. Can I say that word in church? <laughs> um, it is stupid to hate correction. There's more verses there. It says, if you listen to instructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. And there's another part, it's in Proverbs 28, I think verse 23, where it says that a, a person will appreciate a hard correction more later on than flattering words. I don't know if you've had somebody who just flattered you all the time and told you exactly what you wanted to hear and just made you feel so good. But then you had this other person that all the time, it seemed like every decision you made, they just seemed to say, all right, now I understand that you're doing it, but hear me out on this. And they were that friend that was just so annoying because they always were right. And they always seemed to like have like an opinion on something you were doing. Not the person who just has like a general opinion, but this person was really wise and they actually paid attention to the choices you made because they cared about you. That can be like a tough one sometimes when you have that. And so we've got these four. You can bring up the next side. The simple, the fool, the mocker, and the wise. So we come back to the story. Who thinks he was number one? Who thinks Rehoboam was just the simple? Who thinks he was the fool? Couple people, few people. How about the mocker? Okay, more people. Who thinks he was the wise? That's why Dean, <laughs> back there. So, in verse 12 of 1 Kings 12, so 12.12, it says, Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king said, Come back in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. And after that, the people were so outraged that they tried to kill Rehoboam and they even killed one of his high officials and he fled and he jumped in his chariot and fled away to Judah, the, his hometown, and went there and he gets uh, back and all the people are trying to kill him and he gets there and all 11 tribes, 11 of the 12 tribes abandon the king and the kingdom fractures and 11 of them follow an enemy of his. But only one, only one of the 12 tribes does he get to keep and the Levites stay with him. All because of his foolishness in his decision, because he understood the instruction was wise. 
but he did not follow it. Now, here's the thing is this. There are times where I think it's really good for us to have people that are older and wiser than us, that have more life experience, come and walk alongside us um, in our journey of faith, walking us through our relationships, or even like speaking into different parts of our lives, like our careers. At the same time, I do want to give this caveat. Just because someone is older does not make them wiser. Um, just because someone has more experience does not make them have wisdom. You could have 40 years of mistakes. If you want to be wise, sometimes it only takes a year of saying, you know what, I don't want to spend the next 40 years making those mistakes. I'd rather take this year to be wise. In Psalms, it says, by God's word, I've become wiser than my teachers. God's word can accelerate your wisdom and you can be wiser than people that are old. And at the same time, we do want to honor people that are older than us and that have experience. And often, often in the church, it is great to find someone who is a mentor that can speak into your lives. And if you, that's something you'd like, we actually do that here. So if you're interested, you can come connect with me and I can connect you with Matt, Kenny, or Cheryl, and they connect people with mentors. So we can think about this and we can beat up on Rehoboam and talk all about how he made these bad decisions. But a lot of times when we receive uh, instruction that we don't want to hear, because like, honestly, if I was him, I'd probably want to be portrayed as a strong leader when I'm just starting. I don't know if I'd want to do something that stalls the, you know, the momentum that my father already got started. And now I have to kind of take a step back. But the thing is, a lot of times when we receive correction, we respond in a variety of different ways. I've got a few that I'm just going to kind of run through here. Sometimes we defend ourselves. We excuse ourselves. We explain um, things away. And sometimes it is necessary because sometimes someone who's correcting us didn't see the full picture. But a lot of times we explain ourselves or we rationalize it. We justify it. A couple other ones we do is this. Sometimes we internally beat ourselves up because sometimes hearing the correction, it just hits that lie that you are a failure. And all of a sudden you decide you're going to just beat yourself up and join in on it. Or sometimes we think, you know what, if they're going to beat me up, I'm going to beat them to the punch and I'm just going to already do it. Another time what we do is we externally punish others for it. Hey, you're not going to believe what this person told me about myself. Can you believe that? And we start gossiping about people and turn it on them. And then sometimes in the middle of being corrected, we say, well, who are you to judge me? And we bring up something in their lives. And all of a sudden we turn it on them and make them feel bad for the correction they're giving. Another thing that we do is we blame shift a lot. And the thing is, because sometimes it hits too hard to really receive the full weight of the correction we're being given. I worked at this camp for about 15 years. And my mentor was the camp director, okay? And in my first year, I was unaware that he gave correction to people a lot, okay? And I remember one night what we did, so when we would eat meals, we would all sit at tables and they'd have a different camp counselor at each table. So I was at the table and I get really into conversations. Like if you've ever talked with me, I can just sometimes just get going on something, especially if it's Star Wars or a movie I like or food, I can just get going, okay? 
and I'll just talk forever. So I'm with all these campers and I'm just talking and I'm laughing and I'm getting into it and I forget what the order is for getting up and going to get food. There was like a table on the side that you'd go and get the food and they wanted everybody to stay in order. So I'm looking around and I cannot remember what order we're in or where we're at, who went last or what. And I'm just looking around and all of a sudden the lunch lady, she comes up and she taps on my table and says, it's your turn. All right, I guess, I guess it's our turn. So I get up and I lead our whole table up to get the food. And just as we're about to get the food, we got plates in our hand. All of a sudden, a microphone comes on and it's the camp director. And he says, uh, <clears throat> thank you for your attention. Everybody listens up. And he's like, somebody went in the wrong order. Somebody went out of turn. And all eyes, I mean, just all eyes come right on me. And I'm like, oh, you know, and all of a sudden we like have to take the walk of shame, go back to our table, and then we wait for our turn, go up and get our food at the right time. And I'm like, oh, I'm never gonna do that again. Dessert comes around. <laughs> and when dessert comes, I get talking. I get really into a story that I'm telling and I'm just like so excited about it. And I totally forget what order we're in. And I'm like just getting into my story and all of a sudden in the middle of my story, someone comes and rudely interrupts me and this lunch lady comes and goes, it's your turn. And I'm like, oh gosh, last time she said this, I don't know what happened. So I just decide, all right, I'm just gonna go. So I get up, I walk all the way around and as soon as I get there, it happens. I hear the microphone, come on, thank you for your attention. Somebody went out of order and all eyes, not just all eyes, but this time there's like a wave of laughter that comes at me. All, everybody knows what I did. They all look at me and they just burst out into laughter and it's all just coming at me. And I decide I don't want to get hit by this laughter. So I dodge it and I point at the lunch lady and says, it was her time. It was her that made me do this. And I point at her and it all hits her instead. And everybody is just laughing because they know that I'm blaming. I kind of felt like Adam and Eve, like it was the woman. She made me do it. And no, nothing against lunch ladies. I actually used to be one. Not, not, sorry, not a lunch lady. I worked at a, anyways, I worked at a school. Okay, I don't know if I can salvage that one, but um, I worked at a school and served lunch for kids for a time, okay? It's real, I'm not a lunch lady, but um, so I, I did this. Anyways, the point is they had just been taught at camp this idea that the most powerful words you can say is, I am responsible. And that's really hard to say sometimes. I am responsible. But if you wanna know how to repent and to turn your life around, to turn from sin, it starts with those three words. I am responsible. There's a movie that came out that I have actually loved. It's a, it's funny, it's called, it's a D&D movie, but it, um, what is it called? So, uh, Honor Among Thieves. And the whole time he is telling his story about things that happened to him and how his wife died and how he was the victim. And later at the end, he finally reveals that he wasn't actually altogether just the victim, that he played a part in it. He contributed by some of the unwise choices he made. 
are there areas of your life that you have been playing the victim card and not taking responsibility? Because if you do, it may feel good in the moment, but you are actually abdicating control and power over your own life and giving it to the person that you're blaming. There are so many subtle ways that we blame people and abdicate responsibilities for the choices we made. And if you listen to the way people talk, if you even listen to the way yourself talks, there are times where we subtly try to remove ourselves from responsibility. I hear this all the time. I, you know, I love personality tests and all those different things like the Enneagram and stuff, but a lot of times I've heard people be like, well, I'm just a nine. I compromise, that's what we do. I'm just an eight. We always shut people down and we you know, get mad at people. Or I'm just a seven, I can't focus on anything. And there's all these different times we do that. We bring up different personality tests or I'm just an introvert. That's why the Great Commission doesn't apply to me. I don't have to do those things because I'm an introvert. I'm actually a high extrovert, okay? But that doesn't make me not responsible for taking quiet time with the Lord. There are times where you have to say, you know what, those things are true, but that doesn't abdicate me of the responsibility. There's also times where people use spiritual language. They're, doing, they're having a lot of stuff happen in their life, and they say, oh, I'm just under spiritual warfare. I'm just being attacked right now. No, you're not. You're paying the consequences for a long series of terrible, foolish decisions. And you brought it on yourself. And then there's also something that actually I think happens that's even harder to recognize. Sometimes we use mental health language as a way to justify our actions. Here's the thing, let me say this very carefully. I am not saying that any of these things are not real. Yes, spiritual attack happens. Yes, we have tendencies towards certain personalities. Yes, mental health things are real. There's real depression, real anxiety. I had a time though when I had a decision that I was trying to make and I knew that I needed to make the right choice was to step forward, but I was just bound with anxiety and I couldn't figure out a way to go forward. And I remember having a conversation with a mentor at the time and I just said, I can't do that. And they're like, why? And I said, because I am an anxious person and this anxiety is like, it's like not giving me peace and so I can't go forward. I'm just, I, every time I think of going forward, there's just anxiety. And they said, well, Gabe, don't you know that the Bible says you can take control of your thoughts? You can take thoughts captive? That you're not, you're not just a passive recipient of your anxieties. And if I can even just say this and be bold enough to say this, you are not the sum total of your trauma. Trauma is real and it causes things in your life and reactions, and those are real. I'm not trying to dismiss those, but you, because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, you don't have to live bound under them anymore. You can actually be free. It says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm not trying to treat those lightly. I think going to counseling and working through those and choosing to overcome those is something that we are called to. I've had to do it myself, 
And there are times where we have to take control of our thoughts and not be led by them and not allow our reactions to just lead our life, but to allow Jesus to lead our lives instead. And I want us to be a community that characterizes what Paul taught when he said, we are a community of grace that speaks the truth in love to one another. And if you have somebody in your life that is speaking truth to you, do not be so quick to just kick them out of your life and evict them or punish them for it. The wise love it when somebody corrects them. And it's not always easy to speak the truth into people's lives. There's some times where I have spoken the truth into people's lives and been kicked out of their lives for good. It does happen. And there's some times where I have also punished people who have tried to give me correction. And I ask for forgiveness for that because I know that in the end, those people cared more about me than those who flatter with their lips. And so sometimes there's going to be mid-course corrections that have to be made in your life. And it says that God loves those he disciplines. And when there are things going on in your life, God loves those he disciplines. One last verse I'll read to you is Proverbs 19.3. It says this, People destroy their own lives. They ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then they're angry with the Lord. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then they're angry with the Lord. Sometimes the choices you and I make are ruining our lives. They're sabotaging the friendships you could have and the relationships you can have. And you can't see it. And you need somebody to speak into your life. And I pray that each and every one of us would have people in our lives that would do that. May we be a community characterized by the gospel, who's gracious with people. We're not cops going around and trying to just look at everybody and nitpick. But we are going to say, you know what? Because I care about you, I owe you the truth. And if you reject me for it, rejection is better than regret. And I'm okay risking that because I love you enough to speak the truth. God, I thank you that you loved us enough to speak the truth. That you were not a coward. You did not avoid speaking hard truth to us. But you came and you, you told us the truth that we were dead in our sins. And the only way to turn was to come through you and through the cross. And so God, we, have, we are ever grateful for what you did. And God, may we be people who understand that your discipline is actually a sign of love in our lives. May we receive correction. And in the times where we don't, where we're actually upset at the people, God, would I ask for grace on us. Would you help us to be better receivers of correction? to listen to the words people speak into our lives and not evict them, not push your voice out, God, but be grateful for it and love it when you speak into our lives. God, we need your correction. We need the correction of others. Please be with us and walk with us. May we experience your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, there's a couple of questions, as I said, for discussion here at the end, because I think it's not enough for us to just hear 
but I want us to talk about how we can um, walk this out this week. And so here's the questions. Just think about this. If you're okay sharing this, and this might be kind of odd if you don't know everybody around your table, but you can introduce yourself and say, how do you generally respond to correction? <laughs> What's your normal proclivity? Are you like me where sometimes the dark side comes out? Are you, um, do you just try and avoid it by saying sorry and trying to avoid it? Have you ever seen correction handled well or poorly? What was it like? Do you have anybody who's wise, any wise people who speak into your life? Who are they and what are they like? How would you describe people that speak into your life? Number four, are there any adjustments you want to make in your life? Or adjustments to how you respond to correction? And I think one other thing I just want to challenge you this week, listen to the way you talk and the way others talk. Are there ways that you find yourself justifying or rationalizing or like using language to abdicate responsibility? Listen to yourself and how other people talk. Think about it. All right, I'm going to let us go into discussion groups. And then the last thing I would say is this. At the end, once you get through the questions, I'm just going to let you guys pray out. And I'll come around and um, I'll try and remind you near the end. But um, feel free to like submit any prayer requests or things like that. Like um, at your table, just at the end, ask, does anybody have any prayer requests? And then maybe in groups of three or four, just pray over each other and close it out. All right, talk to you guys in a bit. want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it inspires you through the rest of the week. If you're listening on Spotify or on another device, we want to just invite you to click follow and join us for more podcasts in the future. Have a great week.